got before us, God beside us, God behind us, God above us, be also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wings in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down the narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied. So he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill. For the caged bird sings of freedom. It comes from I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, which is a poem by Maya Angelou. Um, it is also the title of her 1969 autobiography, and it is a heart-wrenching story in many ways. It tells of Angelou's early years. It is kind of a coming-of-age story that illustrates how the strength of character and a love of literature can help overcome racism and trauma. You name it, and she had it dealt to her as a child. The book begins when three-year-old three Maya and her older brother are sent to Stamps, Arkansas, um, to live with their grandmother. And she suffers in this little town at a time where African-American little girls were not treated so well. She suffered um, many slights. She suffered from racism. She suffered when at the age of eight years old, she was raped. Every cage imaginable for a child that you could face, she faced. The book ends when Maya becomes a mother at the age of 17. 17 years old in Stamps, Arkansas. An African-American woman the whole world seemed like a cage to her. And yet the story is one of transformation. A life that cries out as any of us would have cried out, as many of us probably do in the cages that we face. Why me? Why now? Why this? Is this what life is going to be? And yet by the end of the story, she is transformed, moving into a life that is dignified and courageous. You see, in the course of Cage Bird, Maya transforms from a victim of racism with an inferiority complex into a self-possessed, dignified young woman capable of responding and capable of looking at the future, an unknown future a future that the world would tell her is filled with no possibility. 
a future that is filled with more of the same, and yet she looks at that future with hope. And she opens her throat and she sings. Because the caged bird sings of freedom. And I have been thinking a lot about cages lately, the cages of this life, cages like the one that Maya Angelou found herself in and countless others, many that we probably know. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's nothing that would rise to the level of what Maya Angelou faced, but it is a cage nonetheless, a predicament in life that you feel, I can't get out of this. Is this all there is? These bars, this place of immobility, this place of paralysis. Why me? Why now? A place that seems utterly without hope, a place that is marked by anxiety, sadness, and rage, and maybe you don't even know why you're there. <laughs> you don't even know the cause, but you've got this anxious feeling nonetheless, and you don't know how to move forward or what to do. And I think about it when I think about today's gospel lesson and when I think about all the gospel lessons, frankly, for the last few weeks as we march our way with the Holy Family to that manger in Bethlehem and the birth of a Savior, right? The birth of a miracle. <laughs> Let's not discount it. It was nothing short of a miracle. And we'll talk about that in just a second, but I think about John the Baptist, who, in, frankly, you know, I mean, you, you could have looked at him and said, let's put him in a cage, right? I mean, from the descriptions of, the, of what he sounds like in Holy Scripture, you know, I'm sure nobody smelled very good back then, but, you know, he probably smelled worse than the rest of them, right? <laughs> Dressed in camel's hair, kind of a wily guy looking crazy out in the wilderness, Right, not in the places where we live. He's out in the countryside where the Essenes live. You got to travel to see him. And he is out there talking to people about turning from their ways. Never a popular commentary, right? I mean, you tell me to do something, I, it's almost guaranteed I'm going to do the opposite because that's just how I roll. I don't like being told what to do. Ask my parents. Ask my wife. <laughs> Would you take the trash out? Sure, I'll take the trash out. Three days later, the trash is still sitting there, right? I'll show you. Um, <laughs> but John the Baptist is a voice that is in the wilderness. A prophetic voice that is coming to the people of God, talking to them about salvation calling the people to turn to the Lord, that there is something new coming. He pointed not to himself, but he pointed to God. And you see, the last written word of prophecy was written by the post-exilic prophet Malachi in the 5th century B.C., some 400 years earlier. So for 400 years, there has been no voice from God. And the people faced oppression, right? They faced Roman occupation. They faced this silence from their divine creator, a people scattered 
about in the exile, a temple that held God, God's self, and all that they considered holy destroyed and cast down. 400 years of defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat of people forgetting God. And probably if they were like me, they would have said, well, let's just get comfortable in this cage. Let's just get comfortable here in the midst of this. If this is the hand we've been dealt, let's live with it. 400 years of a people not becoming enough, but realizing that we are never enough. And in the midst of this weeping and this gnashing of teeth in the countryside, in the wilderness, there comes a voice, a song, a song of freedom, a song of life. You see, John points to Jesus. God heard the cry of his people and his hand broke in. And it is a song of freedom, a song of life conquering death, a song of peace, a song of love. And turning to him is life and hope and light. And if we turn to him, not in our perfection, not in our enoughness, not in who we are or what we can achieve, in our 12-step book of whatever it is, that we can do it all through modern science, through this, through that, whatever it is, recognizing that we are never enough. John says there is one who is enough. One who will fill that hole inside of you that you don't know why it's there, but everything you try to fill it with, whether it's drugs or alcohol or or sex or whatever it is, he will fill that. And it will be enough. And his fire will shine a light on our path and it will burn away all of the rest and warm us with an eternal light. For we are no longer tethered, but free through the blood of Jesus. The free bird thinks of another breeze and a trade winds soft through the sighing trees and the fat worms waiting on a dawn bright lawn and he names the sky his own. But a caged bird stands on the grave of dreams His shadow shouts on a nightmare scream. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied. So he opens his throat to sing. I know a woman who lives in a cage. Not a cage like you think of when you say the word cage, but a cage nonetheless. It's her body, decimated by a disease that no one can really name. No one really knows what it is, right? But it's there. It has the symptoms of this or that or the other thing, but it's not those things. And so this person has been all over creation, to every Mayo Clinic, every uh, analyst, every doctor that you could name, and yet It is still there, and she suffers. And many days she is relegated to a bed or to a wheelchair and cannot move, mobility limited, and she looks at the world through those bars. Is this all there is? 
is this life? Is this what I have in store for me? And so through hopelessness, rage, and pain, she cries. But she also sings. See, her life tells us that she knows that her Redeemer lives and he moves and he waits for her. He has opened the door to this cage for these bars will not hold her and will not be her last sight. For she has seen the hand of a Savior and under her a child is born. And it's not easy for her. It probably won't be easy for her. And yet she hears that voice in the wilderness. She hears that voice of God that is a voice of hope and a voice of freedom. Knowing that the worst things are never the last things for those who follow the Savior, Jesus the Christ. And it is inspiration and it helps us all remember. And so it's why we celebrate the incarnation, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among, dwelling among us, and the resurrection. All that we do here and from here into the world so that we can remember, re-put back together this hope that we have. For we look at the world through these bars and yet we don't see that through the blood of the Lamb the door has been opened at the back of the cage. And if we can't sing in the cages that we find ourselves in, then we will never sing of freedom because we won't remember. And the world doesn't want us to remember. The world wants us to think that somehow this cage is where we are and where we'll always be unless we buy this or unless we buy that or unless we listen to this guru or that guru and then we'll free ourselves from the cage. And yet those things never work because we try them. We need a miracle because we will never be enough because this world will never be Enough, ever. And you will chase your tail if you think it is. And you will spend a lifetime of striving and wondering why you are not arriving. A lifetime in whatever cage it is that you find yourself until you find yourself in the one miracle that was born in an out-of-the-way place in Bethlehem. The one who grew up and who died and rose again. Oh, we go down to the dust, yet even at the grave we make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. For the worst things are never the last things. It's the hope of Christmas, isn't it? For it's a miracle. Don't doubt that these miracles happen in the world and in our lives. Mary said yes. Today is Godate Sunday, which means joy. We rejoice that we're halfway to Christmas and the birth of the child. We join with her. What if she had said no? Joseph, listen to the dream. If he had been, if it had been me, I wouldn't have listened to the dream. Those are miracles. 
And then this miracle of Jesus was born. We have been waiting for the one, and the one that saves us is here. We all have impossible problems. We all have things that we don't think are going to get better. But unto us a child is born. So in the midst of your tears, I want you to also do something this Advent. Let us stop, let us look, and let us listen. For we will hear the song of John. And it's not a song that simply puts a stamp of approval on what you're already doing. It says, turn. Turn to the one and the only one that can give you salvation. Let the fruits of your life show that you have been touched by the Savior. And sing a song of freedom. Because the world needs to hear it. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. And the only way we hear it is if we sing it, even in the midst of the bars. Because the worst things are never the last things. So how will you do it? How will you sing the song to yourself and to others? How will you listen? And as we open our throats to sing in the midst of it all, to tell the story, to tell your story, to tell his story of what was in a manger 2,000 years ago, of what is through God's Holy Spirit moving among us and what will be when he comes again. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill where the caged bird sings of freedom. The impossible problems of this life have found their impossible answer in Jesus the Christ. Repeat the sounding joy. Amen. Amen.